I define solar punk as the concept of this new optimistic future, right? You change the medium you design, actually. You don't design the software so it changes people. You design the medium for people to change their way of, to interact together. So I have like five principles that I extracted from um, Solarpunk. So the first one is to design scaffolds for growth and diversity. Hey, this is Experience Design Podcast and I'm your host V and today I'm talking to a serial guest on this podcast, I guess. That's probably a right title, but it's Kevin Richard and we talked with Kevin on several different topics from strategic design to multi-ocean strategy framework. But today we're going to deep dive into solar punk and the futures, alternative futures, sustainable futures. What does that actually mean? How does, I guess, the idea of solar punk could influence UX designers, service designers, anyone who designs basically to think a bit greener, but in the right terms. And this is exactly what we're going to explore in this episode. We are also going to discuss some principles, some tactical elements to this. If you enjoyed this session, what helps most is if you could share it with a friend just to spread the good conversations around. Why solar punk? And, and why, why did you get so, I guess, obsessed with it so i i think i have to explain how i came to solar punk and how i came to explore it um so at the beginning of this year i was working on um a project we discussed together uh it's a multi-ocean strategy framework and we wanted to merge two movements together like the strategic design you know approach and uh, systemic design approaches so, so the two are kind of living their life on their side you know when we wanted to put them together and by accident i discovered like solar punk while i was investigating systemic design and some other trends like regenerative design and transition design and this is how i you know i discovered the term and said oh it's interesting i never heard this term before so i started to look for you know either uh, books on that or research papers or art movements and stuff like that and i five months later <laughs> i wrote an article about it and this is i didn't reach the point where i feel like i really covered everything that would be covered with the with the, the subject we, we will discuss it a bit but because there's two main ways to understand solar punk at least to me uh, that are quite different in what they allow us to to do. One of the way of understanding it as a concept, for instance, as a, a concept of what should be the future. There's a lot of variations, but you can you know make sense of it and say like th this come some kind of uh, boundaries to what it is, and it, it could be more or less clearly defined, right? There's another approach which is a bit more like um, what we could call uh, an, an assemblage of uh, themes and narratives that that are constantly evolving and that are more into the present than just uh, uh, like a, a, run, uh, a proposition. Mm -hmm. And uh, this part is actually still uh, changing. And it can be like a, a lens to understand some, some social movements, for instance. There's still elements that, we, that I can learn from it today, and especially how you translate that to the design process or to a uh, design process. I guess you did almost like a strategic design research project, right? Like you <laughs> kind of build up the knowledge from what exists and, and kind of drew some stuff. And that's why I wanted to talk to you because you, one of your articles was 
focused on why is it relevant for UX designers specifically yes. or like tech. There is a lot of interesting themes, but kind of to pull back a bit because I think a lot of people are going to listen and <laughs> they don't know what solar punk is. Uh, the punk element to it and the solar element probably kind of going to give some ideas and you can yeah. visualize some stuff just like you would be with cyberpunk or fusion punk or steampunk. You know, not to drop just a few keywords, which kind of like maybe going to give. But what is solar punk ultimately? As a concept, solar punk, well, first, it's a, it's a term that emerged in the, at the beginning of the uh, 2010s, something like that as a term. But it's something that existed like prior to the definition of the, the emergence of the term itself. So there's a lot of uh, artists and writers and authors and many people that contributed to this movement before even the name came. Right. Usually it features self-sufficient cities, towns, right, in terms of energy. So it's, it's close to steampunk in that, in that uh, concept that we take a one technological aspect specifically and we, we use it as a focal point and we see uh, what if it constrained the, the society in a way where it, it changes how the society works, right, or how it's um, organized. And so steampunk did that with the, the steam engine um, and solarpunk do that in a sense with solar panels and uh, other forms of re renewable energies. So usually you see solar panels in uh, solar punk uh, artworks, but you see also like a, a lot of uh, wind um, turbines and, and stuff like that, that, that produce like that creates this idea that the city or the, um, the, the design space is self-sufficient in terms of uh, energy. There's also like a lot of um, organic and green vegetation features yeah. in uh, it's, cities. It's, it's always yeah. overgrown. It's, it's that's yes. where like if if you type solar punk, it's always like it's it's less about the city to me, but more like a farmland almost. Like it, it's it's a very green. Usually in the visuals, there's this kind of mixture between. Uh, the farm and this idea of returning to some kind of basics, doing the work, but doing the work for being self-sufficient as a human being. Like, so the, the, the farm becomes this kind of idealization of what it means to be autonomous, right? As a small group of people, like you produce what you need for yourself, right? So this this kind of idea in that. But the city is not is usually not that far away. Uh, so there's a city which is uh, embedded in the landscape. So point of reference but it's not the only way to look at, at solarpunk so you have like if you look like for solarpunk cities you you have a lot of um, organic features in the design of the city you find some kind of renaissance or a new wave of uh, art nouveau in the way that the architecture is made right and there's a lot of connection with uh, the soft mobility movements because the, usually the cities are features like less cars. They are workable cities for most of them. There are space for people and vegetation and animals, which is also like all of these things are aesthetics features that, that makes solar punk as a visual uh, concept, right? If we stay on, on at this level, this could be just seen as gimmicks, right? Because it's not that original, but there's, Another notion of uh, solar uh, in solar punk, right, is the this, the kind of um, light and um, hopefulness or hopeful um, uh, vision 
optimistic vision of the future. So Solar stands for the technology, but it stands also for this kind of um, better future that's, mm -hmm. uh, that you can see. And usually the, the, the narratives beyond the, the pure aesthetics of the solar punk narratives and uh, the kind of stories that are written around this concept, they are generally speaking optimistic about the future. Although they, they talk about challenges and crises and stuff like that, they are rather optimistic in how they treat the subject. So the, it's not a dystop dystopia, right? Solar punk stories yeah. are not dystopian in any way. Even like they we could say they are an um, answer um, to, to uh, dystopian stories and the kind of pessimistic kind of narratives you can find in the mainstream media in general. Yeah. Like when you talk about the future, people like it's easy and it's, it's kind of, it's became a, a, a trope, right? In a, in, a, in a sense, like you talk about the future and everyone can imagine a future where the, the human society collapsed, uh, where we, we had to make like hard choices. Like it's kind of obvious right now, if you talk about the future, right? There's this kind of mm -hmm. um, future with uh, high tech where we are mixed together with the, the tech, but also where we lost something in in the process right rather the space or rather how our own humanity or something else right so this is where the dystopian aspect uh, comes in play and solar punk is uh, uh, an answer to that in a way it's uh, it's it, it wants to reject this idea that the future is necessarily some kind of um, um zero-sum game for humanity mm. you're referring to like the cyberpunk do you see it as a counterpoint to that? It's it's um it's a counterpoint to cyberpunk for sure. Uh, but I would say first it's just a counterpoint to uh, what I called the um, the mundanity of the mini ends of the world, which is not necessarily linked to cyberpunk itself, because you can find like a lot of stories or kind of narratives that are about the future and that are pessimistic and that are about. Um, some kind of uh, like a form of end of the world for humanity, at least. But that is not this like that doesn't have any relationship with cyberpunk per se, right? So uh, you can make the distinction. But the two are um, like cyberpunk tries to address the two in two different ways. So the first is not seeing the the future as uh, a dystopian vision of the future, like where humanity lost against quote nature as a shapeless right, a concept, because most of the time, you know, a way to treat nature in stories today is some kind of external force that, that is not, we are not part of nature, we are external to, to nature, right? And it's kind of external force that manifests through catastrophic events. Usually we, humanity needs to come back like some kind of, um, to, to some kind of a primal state where we have to survive and nature gets back or takes revenge on, on us. So there's this kind of um, padding where it's a, di a dichotomy, right? Where we, we are external to nature and we took something from nature and nature takes to try to take, take it back, right? And this is kind of a, a revenge story. Um, mm. Well, in the article, I talk about that and the fact that it's, it's highly connected to biblical stories and this kind of narrative talking point that 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 is that are existing in society in general today and this idea of that there's necessarily a degrading aspect to the passage of time that time is a bad thing that it degrades uh, what we create as humans and that the only way to to change that is to fight back against this uh, degradation right to to be uh, an active in an active state of uh, interventionism against it uh, and mm. this is what we call innovation and this is the basically preventing and undoing the, the passage of time and that requires us to see in in entities 
a form of uh, salvation. Like an entity can be the savior, the great savior of of this situation, of this crisis against uh, our fight in our fight against uh, this uh, degradation, right? And the entity can be a person, or it can be a, a product or a solution. And um, like if you think about this this way, like it's interesting to see how it connects to. A form of narrative that exists in today in um, in technology and in economy, where the this kind of um, techno solutionism aspect of the narrative either try to put some figures as the grid saviors or the technology itself as the as the grid savior. And this is where you can see a connection with cyberpunk itself, uh, because cyberpunk, when it was invented, was a criticism of technology uh, itself. Right nowadays, it it became so mainstream that uh, it lost this 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 meaning. Right, it's it's cool. It's um mm. it's it's used to sell technology basically. Shifted from uh, the punk narrative to the mainstream. But yeah, I, I don't want to go necessarily yeah. in a long tangent. We, we can discuss about cyberpunk itself because there's a lot of interesting. No, no, no. Concept, but... and it, because it's such a stark contrast between solarpunk and cyberpunk in particular. But even those two. Um, mm -hmm. Or, or maybe fusion punk is is a bit closer. Uh, you know, some people probably is aware are aware of Fallout games, um, which have been yes. really massive back in the day. And the game itself, and and I'm I'm just gonna you know kind of cover like a very very small segment of it. But the narrative there has always been that there was a really good side, like almost like a dichotomy of its own with fusion punk, the perfect world where everything is run by fusion, cars, um, personal assistance. Uh, gardening tools, like everything had a fusion core in it, like mm -hmm. every single element, which which is super basic. However, the world simply shifted, uh, nuclear war started and things of that nature. And now it's kind of like a like a dystopia type of thing. So it's always has been like almost like a comparison. Okay, it could go really well, if it's managed well, however, likely it's not gonna go that well. And I think cyberpunk has also been kind of positioned that way. There's a lot of excitement of, uh, I don't know, like body enhancement, augmentation of skills abilities stuff like that you know like um, mm -hmm. the systems which are bulletproof because of a purely digital backgrounds and like cyberspace but then it's shifting into hacking corruption politics uh in injustices stuff like that you know like all that's mm -hmm. like it's almost like every single movement brings possibility of a really bright future and also possibility of a really really bad future did you see any of that in solar punk because it's it's wow. so outlined so positively but like i wonder <laughs> what could actually be opposite of that i define solar punk as the concept of this new optimistic future right i told you that there's two ways to look at it so if you look at the, the concept itself it's well it's not supposed to be but to, to you know to embed some some form of dichotomy because it it's optimistic right but if you look at it from a, an assemblage of narratives and 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 themes and stuff like that um and what is today in the present uh, elements of solar punk that you can you could find then yes uh, there is uh, such things and you can find appropriation of the of solar punk ideas by either corporations or venture capitalists that want to use the, this narrative that is appealing to a lot of people because they want to break free from a system that feels remove their their uh, um, the their sense of uh, 
meaning creation and the sense of uh, autonomy. And so they want to to use that, you know, to exist within the the cyberpunk ideas. Uh, and they and they appropriate the idea and they propose something that is contradictory to what cyberpunk tries to do, but use all the features and the visual aspects of it nonetheless. Uh, a great example that is uh, recent is uh, California Forever. I don't know if you know no. uh, this this project. So I don't know if it's a venture capitalist firm or some investors that wanted to buy some lands. I think it's near San Francisco and create a new city there, entirely autonomous, entirely uh, self-sufficient as uh, in terms of energy and workable and with no cars and stuff like that, you know. So you you here you have like all the talking points of Solarpunk, but it's proposed by a system that is the system that Solarpunk tries to to escape, right? It's a subversion of it, especially when you you know where comes the money and what they did to to actually build the project. So they bought some some lands that are used to produce food today, and they want to build a city from scratch there. This is not a solar punk proposition. It's the the opposite of what it tries to do: um, buying lands, uh, you know, removing farms, and creating something from scratch is not the idea. A city that will then be uh, a project of um, an economical project in the sense that it, it will aim to, well, people will try to get money back, you know, at some point. So how does it make money and then to what ends um, are the kind of questions that um, Solarpunk uh, criticize. So this kind of subversion of, of the, the theme. The fact is that Solarpunk is not that recent as a, as a concept, but it's not, not, it's not really yet clear like there's not a you asked the question earlier it, there's no central point there's there's no one way to understand it there's not one way to define it the reason for that is that you find in solarpunk a lot of ideas related to decentralization of power and this idea of uh, especially distribution power and decision to uh, more local and human-sized contexts i mean i don't think People that are really into Solarpunk want a central authority to say what is Solarpunk and what it should be and have like this clearly defined concept because then it will lose this ability to be many things at the same time, right? So um, this is where it's, it's uh, contradictory a bit because you need a definition to understand Solarpunk and what it proposed, but it's not only that. Um, and if you look at uh, who are close to the solarpunk movements you have like a lot of different communities from that are doing a lot of different things from communities in the soft mobility movements uh walkable cities new form of urbanisms architecture arts literature whatever like you have a, like even social sciences so you have like a lot of different communities of sometimes professionals, sometimes people that are just passionate, passionate about the subjects and they do their things on their side. They know that there's other communities. Some people are part of many, but you know, there's not like a willingness to put everything in the middle and say, Hey, let's do, let's do this big thing that is solar punk, right? So that's my kind of perception has been as well, because it's also like, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this notion, but like from vision perspective, or maybe ontological design, it's or, or maybe a lot of other like speculative type of elements. Mm -hmm. If you the futures you think about or talk about or write about are likely gonna like, like our actual future is gonna resemble of that. So like, it's quite important to talk like, let's say the, the people who talk about, you know, cyberpunk and all the different bits or technology, or they just simply call it tech, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, movement, likely they are going to be the ones making it happen. 
you know, the people working in tech, obsessing with tech are probably going to continue and create a future where tech is first. And likewise, people who are probably going to think about sustainable futures, planet centricity, again, solar punk, are likely going to be the ones who are going to infuse ideas and then shape. But the challenge with that, and, you know, do challenge me too on this, but is we're likely still going to end up in this turmoil or this <laughs> mixture, you know, this yarn ball with different colors. Of course, it might not be a bad thing whatsoever, but I feel like it's it's yet one facet. Like there, there almost cannot be just one future, like because we cannot clean reset. I do, I do pretty much agree with you. I, I won't speak for everyone in solar punk movements uh, because I don't know everyone in the solar punk movements, but for the few I exchange with, I, I think they are pretty conscious of, of this as well. Like they, they don't want a narrow version of a future that they have in their mind, but they want to participate in creating a, a better version of the future that they think is necessary, um, at least at their local, in their local context, like where they live and where they interact the most, right? This is the difference with the narrative around uh, technology in general, which tends to be globalized, right? That they, they want, we want something to be the best for everyone, everywhere at the same time. And this is something that you cannot, you cannot find in Solarpunk, basically, because they, the, the, as I told you, like this, this idea of distribution and, uh, and a local context is something that are, this is something that is really important. And so this contradicts the, this aspect, but I, I do pretty much agree with you that, um, it would be a mixture. I find it's actually a good thing. Personally, one of the aspects of Solarpunk that is connected to future thinking and this kind of uh, movement is this idea that first the, the, the future is actually the present unfolding. Right. So you, you don't have like a certainty about what it, it will become. And so all the action in the present will influence the, the, the future. And so it's why it's important when you want to, you think about the future to be in the present, to be in the now and to be active in the now, which is, seems to be a contradiction in itself. But actually, if you think of the future as something that is constantly unfolding, makes totally sense. And, uh, you want, uh, diversity. You, you want, you don't want to lose that diversity. And I can uh, take an example, like in evolutionary algorithms, they create population of, uh, individuals with uh, a pool of genes and stuff like that. And they try to see how the population evolve given some ecological constraints. And when you run the the algorithm, you can find yourself in some, what we call uh, local suboptima or local optima, where actually the, the, the diversity of, uh, in the population of genes just collapsed and only the, the individuals express only certain genes that, um, succeeding in their environment, but it it's, uh, it makes the, the whole population more fragile to any external events. And actually to, to, you know, to escape this kind of situation, uh, researchers have to introduce uh, a diversity again in the, in the gene pool to make sure that, uh, the population can survive. Uh, longer because otherwise it just collapse or it goes into an ex an exponential, but hyper fragile, right? And you don't want, you don't want that actually, because then it will consume resources and kill itself. Basically, just to say like, you can take evolution as a, uh, as a learning to, to what you, you, you need as, um, dynamics and constraints in, uh, designing the future. You want diversity. You want to, to, to create mm -hmm. some constraints, but you don't want to define it too, too much because then it will necessarily lose any, any form of, di of diversity. Right. It's also like, maybe it's 
you know the narratives playing in my head but i was thinking about almost like uh, okay if you want solar punk features which are you know like monolith type of approach where you don't have much much kind of like diversity or modulization from other aspects or narratives mm -hmm. like you almost need to do freedom fighting approach and maybe that's what you could categorize um you know those uh just stop oil movements <laughs> which which are quite large across the globe you know like that mm -hmm. type of thing i feel like I, I don't know if it's the right thing to call them radical forces where people kind of step out and try to fight for that future but still it, it, like i'm sure it's quite incremental at that it's you know you can't like we have this systems which just can't be rewired that easily you kind of have to almost pick pick out different parts and then rebuild yes. rebuild rebuild and and do so like continuously yeah in the article uh, i quote some something that uh, morpheus says in matrix in the matrix movie uh, when he he presents the matrix and what they try to do to to Neo, he says that um, the the system is um, is what they are fighting against. But when you are in the system, what you see is the mind of the people that you are trying to save. But they are so attached to how the system works that sometimes you have to fight them as well to liberate them, basically. And well, this is the message of uh, rebellion and as well as um, activism. Right. So what you, what you say about uh, being a bit ra radical in your approach is, I, I feel, like connects to punk narratives in general. All of them are a form of rebellion against of, um, of a mainstream system. Mm -hmm. That's, so usually they approach it as a, a, criti a criticism uh, um, of the system, of, of the, um, the kind of um, unintended uh, but bad consequences that the system generates. Um, and then they are radical in the sense that they want to be radical to to be noticed in a way, right? To to mm. be visible, and this is where it's it's kind of a weird place to be, I would say. Uh, anyway, so I'm not personally, I'm not an activist, but um, you want something better and greater for for everyone. But at the same time, you make a choice to potentially do some things that might go against any form of. Uh, ethical way of doing some some things right to to make this change happen right uh, and so mm. uh, yeah you need to live with this kind of uh, <laughs> contradiction in your uh, personal yeah. ethics right i would say designers are not necessarily activists but they can be activists if they if they want to um, and then they will have to deal with this kind of consideration as well I agree as well. Like to me, designers are changers, basically. And, you know, any evolution or any activism requires change. Quite frankly, no, there's no one else as, as good at finding out issues than almost designers because that's yes. what we're wired. But that's the only thing to add. To yes, that. but most designers still remain in, like they don't necessarily question the, the system. They question an aspect of the system, but they, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not really convinced that we could say that um, designers are changing this. I mean, they are bringing change, I agree, but within the confine of the existing system, um, and yeah. it is even truer, I would say, when you, you work only on tech, because tech is the expression of the system we are in, but it's hyper-transactional. It's meant to be uh, an extension of the social and political system we are living in. And because of that, changing the, the tech is not necessarily changing the, the system itself. Right. So I would say it's, it's where it's said, if you really want to be an activist, uh, and I, I'm not calling anyone to necessarily be an activist, right? People do what they want to do. But if you want to be an activist, you cannot just do what designers usually do. 
um, and um, or what they are taught to do. I would say you need to be a bit further than that. And this is where it's it's mm. it's um, I would say it's difficult to really to actually want to change the system. It's more difficult than doing design as we are taught to to do. I would say. Yeah, and and you have to have the right perspectives, but. To pick up on something you said, which was specific to technology, and in my mind, I guess maybe it's talking about the solar punk too. It's designers to me there or or everywhere also are architects, also are kind of civil engineers, also are engineers because inevitably people design things. Like mm-hmm. even you know someone who is working on let's say something like social sciences are basically designing the processes and and touch points of how to iterate with different people or how things work basically on human level like everyone's ultimately a designer and i know people might kind of conflate this with everyone's a ux designer but that's not what i mean like but everyone designs decisions basically or they make some sort of choices to do better things this is where i think it doesn't matter where and please challenge me but it doesn't matter who you are or what profession your specialty or hat you wear let's say architects who would take on solar punk ideas they would still design it within very limited constraints i i saw this example the other day uh, maybe it's something you shared actually where the garden cities which is more so like civil engineering and and city mapping and architecture combined have been one of the big movements i guess coming out from solar punk ideas in uk i've been to one which is well in garden city but reality is a bit kind of it's not as ideal because you know it's designed on those fundamental principles of okay with this it's all circular it's all sustainable super green but after years and years of adding industrial stuff around it uh, adding more suburbs you still end up with a city with just more parks ultimately Mm -hmm. and that's where i think it's kind of like it doesn't matter how you approach it It, it's very limiting is is it something which you observed as well that it's kind of like if you would just take solar punk ideas and you would want to redesign something it's it's likely going to be small or it's likely going to be kind of like community sized maybe would be better mm-hmm. yes label. yes i think i think it's something that is is by design of solar punk that you don't want to be to have like um some form of standardized approach and globalized approach to how to do things yes it's uh, limiting but the idea behind is like if a lot of communities of different sizes do some similar things, you know, on the larger scale, it does actually produce better conditions than not doing that, right? So that's the the idea. So you have to see it like in two different rhythm, like it's the f- first, the local aspects, and then how the local aspect influence the larger aspects, right? Uh, which is not something that most people are trying to do, I would say. And especially in design, we see first the objects, and the immediate interactions with it, but we are usually, we stop there, right? We don't go any further. I'm not saying that any kind of solar punk inspired uh, projects necessarily aim to do that because most of them are just sometimes just gimmicks, uh, unfortunately, especially in architecture. You have like huge buildings with green everywhere and cool. But that's not, it's not because you have the aesthetics of uh, solar punk that you do solar punk. You know, in a sense, because you just mimic the the feature of of it. You don't really think of how what does that imply in in its local context. Perhaps mm-hmm. you you wouldn't build a building at all if you if you look at what you want to do in a solar punk context, right? 
Um, if you look at a broader scale, perhaps the aim is to do some small changes here and there and see how it does influence the, the larger scale. Give you an example. Yeah, you don't come from a car-centric city to a workable city in, in one day, right? You need to, to do small changes everywhere. And over time, it improves the city. But it's, it's not possible to, you know, just do like tabula rasa approach where you, you just, uh, you know, destroy everything and rebuild everything. I mean, it's exactly the problem with the forever, uh, California forever city, right? Where you, you start from scratch because you think like starting from scratch is the best approach because yes, you have less constraint. Mm. Then you forget about the context itself, right? Where people live and where people live is not in, I mean, in a place that doesn't exist is in the existing cities and, and how it can, what kind of things you can start to do in this place to improve it. Right. And. You have this movement that, um, you know, try to uh, create green space in the city, but it, it was not supposed to be. I don't remember the name of, uh, you know, they just... Uh, um, oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, we're using the... The, the bleak spaces for... Yes. I, I can't remember the label, but I know exactly what you mean, where they used it for, like, allotments and gardens or, you know, even to grow food, I think. Yes, like, the, the, uh, the, the there, plants, there was a um, bit of that. Yeah. Vegetables and you can, and people in the, you know, from the local community can just pick them up and, and use it to, to, to cook stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a form of activism, activism uh, because it's, it's illegal in a way, right? So it's, um, it's a kind of re rebellion act, but it's, it's to show people that it's possible to change the space in which they, 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 they live, right? Um, and uh, an urbanist looking at, the, at this could be inspired and say, okay, let's create spaces where people can actually uh, do this kind of thing, right? Open up possibilities mm -hmm. for people to have not only place to live, but place to interact, uh, which is uh, something that car-centric cities like lost, right? You have less space for people to interact. Uh, you have more space for people to just mm -hmm. commute to places and to park cars. So you, you don't change all of that in one day, right? But you can start like removing parking spots. Yes, people will not, not everyone will be happy with this uh, at first, but then instead of just having like this empty spaces, you use it to create a, a place where people can actually interact in a better way with their local neighborhood or, you know, communities, place for kids to play. And over time, if there's place for kids to play, kids play, then we want to make the street even safer for them so you restrict access to cars you build space for uh, pedestrians you build space for for bikes and stuff like that and over time you end up with a, a bookable place i'm not saying you don't need cars you know at all but there's an overabundance of place for cars uh, you know compared to to humans mm -hmm. yeah you do that in one place yeah. you do that in another place that at some point you want to connect these two places together so you have to do it for an entire street and over 10 years maybe uh, you end up with um, a workable city, but it takes time. Mm. That's that's for but sure. I'm very conflicted for it. Maybe I uh, want to challenge you a bit on one thing, which kind of like I get where where solar punk is coming from as, as, I guess, a collection of narratives or the way people describe a concept, but it's always focused on cities. And granted, that's where the most of the people, you know, the most of the population is, but yes. 
every time I look at the concepts of solarpunk, and again, maybe it's more criticism of actual concepts than ideas or, you know, what we're discussing. But to me, it appears like a village which has maybe a couple of families, but it expanded beyond what, what we needed. It's all like cognizant of the amount, the population, the community size, that in reality, those cities which are shown to have a few wind turbines, um, you know, solar panels everywhere, massive fields and greenery and things of that nature would probably would triple or 10x or like they would have to be so massive to actually support those populations. Mm. And I get your point as well that, okay, yeah, it's not necessarily what's going to happen, you know, or realistic that you're going to start small, you're going to end up at the better areas. But I feel like maybe that's where the shortcoming is of, of the movement. It's kind of like portraying something as way too utopic you know and again you could argue vision and stuff like that matters but i think it has to be said i'm not a proponent of solarpunk i'm fascinated by the topic mm. i want to talk about it because i want to be inspired I'm not saying we should aim for a solarpunk you know future as it is shown in the beautiful artworks you can find because i do agree with you it's like it's not i don't think this kind of future it, it will be the future we will have anyway right i don't think solarpunk is an utopia i i don't believe that and why that is uh, it's not a cohesive proposal it's not something that has that is sound enough to be to have like legs and work on its way it's uh, to me it's uh, it's a collection of ideas and principles and narrative and stuff like that to to me it's actually better framed this way. And I like to think that Solarpunk itself is an imaginary for transition to move away from the current system mm -hmm. to another one, which we don't know which one it, it is. I don't, we, there's no formulation of what mm -hmm. is this new system, right? But it's not the one we have now. That's the, that's the actual proposition is an antithesis to it say, it says basically it's not the system we have right now. It doesn't work on the long run, right? The system we have right now so mm -hmm. we have to change to change it we need new imaginary we need new ideas we need new ways of understanding the world and designing in it right so that's mm -hmm. to me it's the true proposition of solarpunk is beneath the surface is exactly that uh, it doesn't say what mm -hmm. should be things and this is where to me it's it's not an utopia um and basically an mm -hmm. utopia is Uh, utopia comes from you know topos uh, in latin and topos is the territory uh, and so utopia is it's actually no place it's no territory so an utopia by definition is something that that has no place uh, but we want to reach it anyway right mm -hmm. i don't know if it's uh, utopia and to this definition it's not it's not to me it's not a, a no place because if you look at the movements involved in solarpunk they are really in the present The thing is, like, if you take a movement like Strong Towns or stuff like that in the, the, the US, they try to show to city makers that it's totally possible to create mixed-use places where you create a lot of, of diversity and this increase the value of land, this increase the value, the economical aspect of cities, because most cities in America are just losing money uh, every year because they just you know, expanded the city, like mm -hmm. you said, suburbs yeah. and roads everywhere. Um, this is a way of, make, of doing solarpunk, right? In a sense, it's, a, it's a, in the practice is to say, well, we, we need more mixed-use places. In Europe, we have more mixed-use places, although we, we were influenced by the, the US for some of the recent construction. I would say we have like, because of how 
medieval cities were built have a, a lot of mixed use places. And these are actually the places that people want to live in the most, right? Just the, the, the value. And we can do that kind of things without uh, necessarily having like this kind of uh, beautiful artworks uh, end result. And this will be closer to what Solarpunk aims to do, basically, that's having the artwork like <laughs> taking it and seeing the landscape and say, yeah, we, we did it. It's all green and solar, solar panels yeah. everywhere. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> yeah. Just a picture does tell, you know, the story of a thousand words. So it, it matters for <laughs> narratives of things. The visualization yes. is so important. Even like, I don't think words would do the justice. Maybe a lot of the listeners might, like, it's fascinating as probably not as much as for you, but but I'm, I'm still like very appreciative of that, especially from, I guess, service design lens. A lot of these ideas, let's say, if you as a designer would just take on that picture or definitions or principles, if you're pro obviously proactive, you're able to kind of trickle it down to a specific design decisions or even let's say i don't know like how the services are combined but how do you imagine let's say a, a uxer coming into this concept or into these narratives this this assemblage of ideas and kind of being able to do better in daily situations like do you have any examples of what what that could look like you what you said Prior to that is like it, it sounds to be highly focused on cities and obviously it's not where most designers work like they're not we're not all working on cities uh, and this is where my i would say my design principles comes from to try to extract some of the um, what makes solar punk taking out from what it says basically which is most most of what it says is related to the designed space and the physical design space right um and we are not all working on mm. this kind of stuff and making less about the space itself, but dynamics and kind of constraints we want to put in place to uh, achieve the same kind of result on the same kind of ideals that uh, Solarpunk is trying to say. And I think one of the main aspects of Solarpunk is what it says is that we should be less focused on the object that we are designing, on the technology itself, on like designers are really well, we are making products for most of, of us, right? Either like physical objects or digital objects. And uh, we are really focused on that, right? And what Solarpunk is saying is, well, the object is cool, but clearly it's not sufficient to make the change we want to see. So what we need to do, in fact, is to focus on actually what we want to, to change you know, in a given context, in a given space, what you actually want to, to do is change how people interact, uh, either together or interact with, uh, um, with other people or with organizations and stuff like that. And actually think of this specific context and how you want to influence it to make this context like better in a, in a way, right? And not being focused on the object, but what kind of objects are uh, or technology is necessary for the change to happen in this specific context. And then do only the, the object when you believe it's the right way to, you know, to actually change this context. It's a bit less like standardized in a way, which is kind of contradictory to uh, what we do with technology usually, right? We want it to work everywhere the same way in an ideal way for the best for everyone. Here, it's a bit different. You probably want to do certain things in a specific context in a certain way and do certain different things in a different way in another context, right? To give you an example, I, I, so mm -hmm. I worked in, in the, the financial, in the finance uh, space and we, we had this um, a product that, that enabled teams to 
work together and to actually treat some kind of uh, cases, like it was a case management uh, tool. And people believed the issue was the software itself, like was the piece of technology. Uh, but we did go into the place, the physical place where people work. We try to understand what people are trying to achieve, how they interact together, how they, you know, they will pass information to another team, to another individual, map out all these interactions. And then Arnie says, now what we need to do is to change how they interact together. The technology is irrelevant for now. Uh, let's see later what we will do with this piece of technology. The main issues are when they try to interact between two teams, something is missing, something is not working, right? So we did like a bunch of prototypes from a chat to even just, uh, you know, phone calls to see how they will, how it will influence how they transmit information. Guess what? Phone calls works better than chats. Uh, and uh, we ended up designing a way for, for them to first put in place a ritual within the teams to make sure that they, they are used to transmit the right information at the right time to the, to the right team for the right purposes. So they have like some kind of um, routine in place to make sure that it, it's a, it mm. becomes like a, a habit, right? To do that because it's a, it's a bank, you know, everything is a secret. Not everyone wants to share anything with other teams if they don't have, don't, they don't have to. So, so you, you had to break this kind of secrecy mentality to in a way to make sure that the right information is transmitted at the right time. And only then we worked on the software and we say, now we do changes. So it reflects what is needed in this specific context. But then, mm -hmm. you know, it was like actually made for that and only for that and for a specific team. I don't know if it would work for another context totally different from that, but it worked pretty well there, right? So this mm -hmm. is an example. You change the medium you design, actually. You don't design the software so it changes people. You design the medium for people to change their way of, to interact together. And if software is the right way to crystallize the medium, then then it is. But if it's not, you yeah. can, like phone calls worked, just to say. So <laughs> you could, you yeah, could do just that. It's such a good example too. Like the worst to me would be if, you know, someone is listening or reading about solar punk and they just then des decide to go and make a mixed reality or VR experience of solar punk. Well, maybe actually that's not the worst example what could happen. Maybe you need that to communicate the ideas and, and kind of spark interest from, you know, the world, but it's a, a lot of ways to skin it, I guess, but it's kind of like not just aim too high, I guess, but, but kind of keep it as a vision and then walk back of what could be done next. One last thing, I guess, which might be interesting for the audience is the actual principles, which you outlined pretty well, but I wonder if you could kind of give a bit of a context of why do you think that's kind of important for SolarPunk and especially UXers looking at SolarPunk? So, yeah, so I have like five principles that I extracted from um, SolarPunk. First draft, high level principles. So. I need to revisit that, revisit them at some point to make it them make them a bit more concrete. But they they capture to me they capture what what is important to understand from SolarPunk. So the first one is to design scaffolds for growth and diversity. And the idea here is um, so a scaffold is uh, you know this kind of structure that help grow or construct stuff. And you can see behind like there's something. This is something found in, in nature as well. What, uh, how it is connected to, to SolarPunk is what we discussed today is a lot of things related to diversity and to, to uh, 
uh, the way you want you want this diversity for the future, but you want also to put constraints to direct this diversity in a certain way. So this first principle is really about that. It's about how you can not design an object, but design a, um, a, a circumstances for in, to increase mm -hmm. the likelihood of certain outcomes, right? So this is the first principle. So the, the second one is affordances or local uh, experiences. Uh, this one comes to this idea in Solarpunk to scale down things to human to a human size uh, experience or a community size experience. And to do that, you don't focus again. You don't focus on the object. You focus on the context and how you can you can help people see affordances. So affordances is um, are the kind of things you see in this um, this picture here. Uh, here it's a it's a playground. And you see there's ways for people to, to hide, to climb, to slide. And these are clues in the context that you can do stuff uh, actually in this playground. And so you could, I mean, you could see designing for a context, like the example I give you with this, these two teams that, are, that, that needed to work together, how you create affordances for them to be able to do that in, in, in an efficient and effective way, right? So that's the second principle. Uh, the third one is about something that we don't really we don't really discuss we didn't really discuss today, but is about um, more than human experiences. So a lot of stories of uh, in Solarpunk are about giving back or giving a place to other living organisms in our design space, and especially like animals, right? Like if if you are working on tech, obviously it can be a bit difficult to see how to do that. Uh, but I think there's a place to say designers need to think beyond the human needs. Cool, that's important to, for, to understand human needs. But if they go against, I would say, the needs of the environment or the needs of other animals, uh, perhaps you need to also think about their needs and design an experience where humans are included, but also the other animals. So it's replacing the... I would say it's not replacing human-centered design, but it's extending it, extending it to the rest of the ecosystem. Maybe to add, and I'm coming from the session of Samuel Huber earlier yes. in the year on planet-centering design. He was describing it as actors, basically, which also could be inanimate objects. Um, yes. It could be a river, let's say, which you, you, you need to design with, or a lake, or trees, or... Um, you know, boulders, like something which not necessarily is a carbon form, like something which has no life, so to speak, but has like a big meaning to, you know, to the communities, which should yes. be protected. You know, it could be a lot of different elements to this. I agree. And and we discussed that together with, uh, with Samuel. And uh, mm -hmm. this is where I see a lot of connection with his uh, approach. Here, it's not just considering them uh, or designing specifically for them, but you could say, like, for instance, uh, a lot of the tech we create are for humans uh, and give them a means of control over the the, the you know environment. Uh, and some of the solarpunk stories they ask what what if we 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 shift the the focus and we gave animals, for instance, means to connect with us. So they have means of control on us, but in a way where it's kind of shared, you know, where it's uh, equally beneficial. And some stories talk about technology that helps like animals to communicate with us, for instance, and give, give us clues on what they need or what they want. So that could be an idea. Like, what if you design something not for humans, but for another species, 
that would uh, benefit us as well? That's an interesting question, and I'm sure that this is not something that is necessarily pretty well explored today. Something that I feel is a really strong principle, and uh, to me it's an ethical principle, is to design for human and non-human autonomy, and this idea of bringing people a means to make decisions for themselves, to orient themselves in their own way, the way they decided is relevant to them, instead of deciding for them what is good for, for themselves, right? So this is a, a strong principle to me. It is really, really connected to, highly connected to previous ones. And I could talk about this one like a, <laughs> a lot, but I will stop there. But it's also really, really connected to, highly connected to all the AI discussions and AI mm -hmm. technology as well. So I think it, it could be like a, a discussion on its own. Um, yeah. And the last one is I talk about uh, designing, uh, well, the need for what we call multi-ontological approach, which means basically that you need to take into account uh, multiple uh, perspectives in your design. And we are kind of trained to do that, but we have also an issue in the process of doing that uh, because we are trained to synthesize those perspectives into one single a co co cohesive uh, view and this is this is an issue well at least i think it is an issue and how do you design for what uh what we can call worlds within worlds uh different worldviews without um um you know uh, averaging those views or um, uh, designing which uh what aspect of those views are necessarily relevant um, and one of the, the issue in the process of uh, design, of, of the design process doing that is that the, the level of interpretation of the context is still at the level of the designer. Desi the designer decide what is relevant for the, for the different contexts and the different people that uh, are perspective that they, mm -hmm. they encounter. And uh, this idea of designing for worlds uh, within worlds, it comes from um, a revolutionary, revolutionary uh, movement in the in 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 Mexico um, that uh, from um, a community that was um, uh, not part of for a long time. They were excluded from any decision in the country, and this movement is called the Zapatistas movement. And they decided at some point to rebel against this uh, exclusion and uh, march do a march on the city and the capital, but uh, in a non-violent way. So they, they were this, you know, uh, dressed up like uh, terrorists, but instead of uh, weapons, they had like um, uh, musical instruments. And mm -hmm. uh, they, 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 they went to the capital and they played music and they, they, they you know, they did a lot of, uh, basically of noise to, <laughs> to uh, attract attention and say, we are part of this country as well. Well, the, the leader of this movement uh, said, uh, said this, that this, this is a happy army. This is uh, um, in this revolution, dancing is the rigueur. Um, mm. And uh, he called uh, all the people participating in the movement like mediators of dreams and sorrows that pass through this gateway of the worlds within worlds as a metaphor of uh, their world where they were excluded from the other world, which is uh, the other world they are part of, but excluded from which is the the country they live in, um, and that doing what they are doing, this revolution that they are doing, connects the two in a way where they they are still existing as two two distinct two distinct worlds, but with a lot of uh, relation to, between them, and so mm. so we need to do exactly that as well. We need to 
to create a way, a process that allows us to uh, keep these worlds as they are, make connections between them. So we can design for the connections and not, you know, design for what we think these worlds needs. Um, yeah. And, and that, uh, I guess, yeah. would allow people to actually connect the dots. Or my interpretation is also kind of design more deeply inclusive experiences yes. or, or, you know, when I say experiences, it's everything from economics to politics, to, to decision-making, to equity and equality within the society and things of that nature. I feel like that's what, what it kind of touches. It means also that you, you have to find a way where the kind of design decisions that you make is not necessarily you to make is to let other, the people, you know, which are in their worlds that live in their worlds, that live in, that, that have their perspectives to make decisions and you build upon their decisions instead of making decisions for them, which is mm. not an easy process to, 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 to unfold. And it's uh, actually, there's not like, there's not much things to, that exist on that. You, the, the, the close proximity um, in terms of process that exists is a pre-reversal design. But here again, they have like some some issues where the the level of interpretation of what is required and what is needed for the design within the design process is still made at level of designer. So what we try to do with the multi-ocean strategy framework, for instance, is to bring back this uh, level of interpretation at the level of the participants, for instance. So that, that would be an example how you, you could do it. Like it's still open to be, to be discussed and, and to be designed as a process. So, which is yeah. something I find interesting. That's awesome. And thank you for so much for coming in and, and sharing your thoughts and also sharing the principles because that's like a perfect note to, I guess, wrap the episode too. You know, mm -hmm. it's quite actionable as well. Like for those listening, uh, please take a look. Perhaps we can share a link to your article where the principles yes. are or to the slides or things of that nature. Yeah, my LinkedIn is, um, so you can find me, Kevin Richards on LinkedIn. You can find the article on Medium as well. So if you look for uh, what can designer learn from Solarpunk, there's not many articles about Solarpunk, so you, you might find it quite easily. And um, I link in this article, there's a link to a page where there's all the resources, all the articles, all the content I read to create this, uh, to write down this um, this uh, article. So um, there's a lot of things to read if you want to explore for the, the, the subject there. So yeah, go ahead and uh, dive in this uh, <laughs> this uh, weird awesome. and strange world. <laughs> no, it's it's awesome and and yeah, like uh, makes you makes you think about stuff which is less tech, I guess, obsessed. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's awesome. But thank you so much. Uh, thanks again. Thank you.